millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, you guys. This is Misty. This is Lattes and Legends. Hi. I... I'm here. I am still sick. It's now been a week since this plague hit me. And it sucks. Um, yeah, so I pulled myself out of bed today. And um, my fever's gone, which is good. Um, but yeah, hi, here I am. Um, I had a vanilla latte today after my walk. It was great. I really needed it. And yeah. So first off, I wanted to say thank you to everyone that's been listening. I hit over a thousand listeners yesterday in the midst of my feverness feverness stuff. Um, So thank you so very much. Um, And for those listeners... You could check me out on Twitter, Lattes and Legends, um, Facebook, Lattes and Legends Podcast, Instagram is Lattes and Legends, uh, the website is Lattes and Legends Podcast.com, and Patreon is Lattes and Legends, mm. Patreon.com slash Lattes and Legends, um, and if you listen on iTunes, I would so very much appreciate a five-star rating, because that will get me up on the new and noteworthy, and um, maybe soon I could come tell you an episode in your town, although that would terrify the ever-living shit out of me. Um, so yeah, happy Sunday, um, I'm gonna read another of these Colorado ghost stories because I'm fascinated by this book and the more I read it, the more I love it so much. Um, and I'll try to fit a couple in. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to go with it. Um, I'm going to talk this week about miners from Colorado um, and the different mines in I think the Cripple Creek area we'll see the first two I know are Cripple Creek alright so the first one is called the Mamie R Mine compared to the feverish enthusiasm of most gold rushes in the American West the gold mining in Colorado's Cripple Creek region had surprisingly tentative if not downright skeptical origins Located in central Colorado, 25 miles west of Pikes Peak, the Cripple Creek area was a quiet place used by local homesteaders mostly for grazing livestock. One would think that Bob Womack's discovery of gold in 1874 would have made the quiet creek into another one of the West's gold-digging Gamoras, but no such thing had happened. Well, not yet, anyway. Spurred on 
on by his modest 1874 finding Womack put back into his job into the job he must have been imbued with an amazing stubbornness because 16 years passed before he made another gold strike 16 years of working alone being bored without any other gold diggers around while other ones went from one bonanza to another he was unmoved when they announced that there was gold in the Black Hills in 1876. He barely even looked up when word got out that men were making millions digging silver in Leadville in 1878. Yet, when Womack made a second discovery in 1890, it can't be said that it paid off. Yes, other men finally took notice when Womack wandered into Denver with saddlebags full of gold ore. And yes, the first prospectors began to trickle into Cripple, Cripple Creek soon after, a small number of hopefuls willing to make a gamble. It could be called the first stage of, Cripple, of the Cripple Creek Gold Rush. <coughs> Not that any of this would have made a difference to Womack, spending the next year digging for gold alongside the newly arrived prospectors. Womack's labors were just as fruitless as they had been for the long years before. Indeed, in 1891 was a hard year for all the prospectors at Cripple Creek. So hard that the site was abandoned by all but the most stubborn. Womack himself finally decided he had had his fill of Cripple Creek. He sold his claim to a man named John P. Granis for a mere $300. This would be the sale that Womack would regret for the rest of his life. Later on that year, two men only remembered as Pat and Mike, decided to try one more dig before they abandoned Cripple Creek. As a lark, the two men agreed that they would dig on the spot next to their next, would dig on the next spot that their dog stopped to relieve itself. It turned out that the dog's nose for gold was superior to theirs. Digging into the hard ground where the dog had just defecated, the pair promptly hit an enormous gold vein. Three weeks later, Pat and Mike dug out $100,000 in ore, and the rush was on. When Womack has sold, what Womack had sold for $300 was suddenly worth over 100 times that. Overnight, Cripple Creek real estate became the hottest property in the United States as prospectors from every corner of the continent flooded into this region. Dance halls, gambling halls, hotels, saloons, parlor houses, and flop houses seemed to spring up from everywhere. By the end of 1892, over 10,000 people were living in Cripple Creek. The mining operations would last an incredibly long time by gold rush standards, with the last serious Cripple Creek mine closing down in 1961. Miners had dug up over 21 million ounces of gold from the Colorado earth in, the, in nearly 70 years that the Cripple Creek mines were active. Today, Scores of abandoned mines are littered throughout Cripple Creek, ghostly husk of expired industry that mark the location of subterranean tunnels long since gutted of any gold they once contained. If these old head frames could talk, there would be tales of hardship, desperation, and avarice, of tough men burrowing beneath the earth for mineral wealth, emerging from tunnels battered, bruised, and beyond exhaustion. Luckily, in the end, if they all emerged at all. Indeed, far too many of these men would meet their gruesome death 
while toiling under the western ground. The Cripple Creek mines would kill many a gold digger before they were closed for good. And all of the lethal tunnels that were dug around Cripple Creek, the Mamie R. on Raven Hill, became the most infamous. Men who worked the Mamie R. knew there was something wrong from the very beginning. Early diggers would hear talk of strange voices they heard that were heard in the depths. They spoke of voices that seemed to come from the very rock, coming at them from damp darkness, sometimes low and guttural, other times high. Many tried to disregard the mysterious voices, explaining them away as echoes from men in nearby tunnels. But there were also miners who offered up more disturbing explanations. Some of the men who worked for the aim Mamie are were mining veterans, men who had worked the coral seams in Cornwall and the pits of Cape Breton, men who were well acquainted with the denizens of the deep. These miners were the ones who grew increasingly uneasy at the sounds in Mamie R's tunnels. In hushed whispers, they talked about deathly creatures that wreaked so much havoc in other mines. It's them knackers, they would say creatures or spirits no man can say for sure but they live underground hidden from the sun and they've sent far too many good men to their graves that didn't deserve it make no mistake there's evil in this mine nevertheless gold fever held the mamie r workers in such a thrall that few were worried at all about the whispers in the dark until that is the accidents began to happen Are you guys scared yet? I'm getting there. This is awesome. <laughs> the first tragedy happened in the early evening when five men breaking gold ore off one of the tunnel walls were suddenly interrupted by one of their co-workers, a Texan by the name of Hank Bull. Hold up for a second, the grimy miner called out to the others. I swore I heard something down there. Through the dim light of the hanging lanterns, the miners could see Hank's massive form standing very still in the tunnel. He was staring intensely down the shaft. What'd you hear down there, Hank? One of the men asked. I heard someone calling my name. Down there? Another miner snorted. Man, you been chewing peyote? There ain't nothing down there but blasted rock. Let's get back to work. One of their men raised his pickaxe and was just about to let it fall when Hank stopped him. Don't! He snapped the axe out of the man's hand. You guys must have heard that. Heard what? That! Hank said, his head snapped towards some noise that none of the others could hear. What are you talking about, you fool? There's a boy down there, a little boy. He's calling out for me. You guys can't be telling me you don't hear that. There was conviction in Hank's voice that made every miner stop and listen carefully, their heads bent toward the tunnel. Long moments passed, but no one heard a sound from the shaft below, nothing but water dripping into the gathering puddles and the occasional pebble rolling down the tunnel wall. There's nothing there, they would say to Hank. Besides, how could there be? That stretch was just dug yesterday. No one would be foolish enough to go down there. Hank was, not, was unmoved. I'm going to take a look. I'll be back. 
One of his co-workers called out to him, warning him that the tunnel ahead wasn't safe, that it hadn't been braced yet. But Hank gave no sign that he heard it and disappeared into the tunnel. The miners got quiet, listening for the sound of his boots fall on loose rock. Then there was nothing, not a sound. One moment passed. Two moments passed. And the miners were still as statues in the absolute silence of the shaft, trying their best to fight a rising tide of fear. It seemed as if the water had stopped dripping. Even the miners labored breathing rose and fell without a sound and then with a suddenness that sent each man into spasms of horror the silence was broken by a horrifying scream it was hank his voice so fearful it was almost unrecognizable half the men jumped back to the tunnel entrance the other half leapt forward to help their distressed co-worker but none of them made it very far until the, and before the tunnel caved in the miners looked on helplessly as the unsupported ceiling above Hank came down, burying the, Hank, the helpless miner in a pile of rubble. Mamie, our workers on the surface, felt the earth rumble as rock dust billowed from the mine entrance. The bucket was promptly lowered into the mine, and one by one, each of the men brought out the tunnels alive, except for Hank Ball. The poor man was long dead when his workers finally pulled his remains out of the tunnel. His body was smashed and badly mangled. It was almost unrecognizable. But it was his face, twisted into an expression of the most profound terror that left the greatest impression on the men who dug him out. In the daylight hours, very little was said about Hank's last moments in the mine. The voice he claimed to hear, his blood-curdling scream before... The voice he had claimed... Sorry. In the daylight hours, very little was said about Hank's last moment in the mine, or the voice he claimed to hear, his blood-curdling scream just before the tunnel collapsed. Yet the story of his demise circulated in whiskey-soaked conversation and short whispers. All the while, the mysterious whispers and moving shadows continued within the depths of the Mamie R, and it wasn't long before the miners began deserting the Erie mine. They left in droves, and soon, only a skeleton crew remained behind to mine the depths of the Mamie Arm. Bold or just extremely stupid, these stubborn men stayed on even as bizarre going-ons at the bottom of the mine got weirder. They dug deeper and deeper under Raven Hill, all the while ignoring the waxing strangeness that no one could explain. Barely audible whispers in the dark turned into distinct voices, though no one could say what strange guttural language the voices were speaking. Some claimed to see dark figures moving in their peripheral vision, figures that would vanish into the walls whenever the miners turned to get a better look. Not knowing what they were dealing with, the miners of the Mamie R took to, the, took to calling the beings in the dark Tommyknockers and did their best to work alongside them. The Tommyknockers, however, were not nearly so cooperative. They seemed to take special interest in the windless system that transported the men and the ore from the tunnels to the surface. Men below would ring a signal bell three times to be hauled up above the ground in the windless bucket. Yet, on too, on too many occasions, the bell would be rung, the bucket would be hauled up, and nothing. Neither men nor ore would be there. If the miners were puzzled by this the first few times it occurred, they quickly grew accustomed to the skullduggery. 
Damn Tommy knockers, the miners would grumble. Don't they have any respect for a man trying to earn his living? Before long, miners of the Mamie R discovered that the Tommy knocker's malice ran much deeper than mere disrespect. The second death in the mine occurred late November 1894, when a miner standing at the bottom of the entrance shaft had his skull crushed by the bucket, which had come loose off the cable and plummeted down the pit. Although all in the Mamie R mourned the death of another miner, no one could explain how the bucket had come loose. The rope was still intact, and the knot that was tied to the bucket was still fastened tightly. Given the evidence, there was no way the bucket would have come loose. If any of the men working the mine had gotten used to the Tommyknockers, this incident hardened their hatred of those mysterious creatures in the mine. In turn, the strange things happening in the mine were increased dramatically. Some miners claimed that they could hear the Tommyknockers closer than ever, as if they were standing right next to them, whispering unintelligible threats into their ears. Anyone turning to get a look at these creatures would find nothing there but the damp darkness of the Mimiar. It did not stop there. At the end of the workday, many exhausted miners claimed to catch a glimpse of small horned creatures, no more than three feet tall, dashing about in obvious glee, celebrating the miners' departure by leaping to and fro in some sort of demented dance. It was always dark when the miners caught sight of these creatures, and though no one claimed to see them clearly, they always described them the same, short, with two horns jutting out of their heads and burning red eyes. Whether the Tommyknockers were getting bolder as the miners dug deeper or had simply grown tired of the miners' presence might not ever be known. But in the weeks after the second miner's death, the feeling in the Mamie R became almost intolerable. In addition to now near-constant hiss of angry voices and darting shadows, some miners claimed to be claimed to see the bleeding apparitions of their recently departed co-workers. A badly injured Hank Bull was seen in the deepest recesses of the mine, walking through the tunnels with a completely emotionless look on his bleeding face. Men hoisting the bucket out of the mine at the sound of the signal bell would stand back in terror as the apparition of the second dead miner would silently emerge from the shaft, his blank eyes staring listlessly from his crushed skull. Moving to get out of the bucket, the wounded apparition would vanish the moment its feet touched the surface. And still, men of the Mamie R remained resolute, digging the ore out from the tunnel walls without complaining, until, that is, Christmas Day, 1894, a few short weeks after the second miner was killed, another miner was killed in another freakish accident. The circumstances of this death were so improbable and so absolutely gruesome that every man in the Mamie R abandoned the mine never to return. The Mamie R had flooded on Christmas Eve, and the miners had spent most of the day hauling water out of the tunnels one bucket at a time. There were three men working on the surface, hoisting buckets of water out of the shaft as they were filled. It happened all in an instant. The bucket, groaning under the weight of the water, suddenly came apart. The spool that the rope was wrapped around flew off the frame, causing dozens of yards of rope to come loose as the bucket full of water plummeted down the shaft. One of the men on the surface had become entangled in the slack rope, which was 
quickly snaking down the well along the bucket, along with the bucket. Then the line snapped, taut, cleaning, cleanly decapitating the man who had been draped in the rope. Apparently, a coil had settled around his shoulders, and when the rope was pulled tight by the force of the falling bucket, it sliced through his neck like a razor-sharp knife. No one tried to explain how the winding spool had come off the bucket. The miners had had enough. Convinced that the Tommyknockers were responsible for three fatal accidents in the mine, every one of the miners quit that Christmas. Word of the cursed Mamie R. spread throughout Cripple Creek, and no one from the mining community would ever replace the workers. By late January 1895, the mine beneath Raven Hill was officially closed. Its, its depths were never plumbed for gold again. Although the story of the Mamie R. has become a legend in the ghost lore of West, Western Colorado, Colorado State's Bureau of Mines has no record that it even existed. Skeptics have used this fact to debunk the story of the Mamie R. If every other mine that was dug in Cripple Creek region was listed, why not the Mamie R? The response has come with the argument that the Mamie R only operated until 1894, and the Bureau's census of Cripple Creek began a year later in 1895. Being one of the few mines that closed before the Bureau took the census, it, never inclu- it was never included in the Bureau's books, and thus was lost in the historical record. And so it is, as with many such legends, that belief depends more upon the gut feeling and the faith than the proof. Were the Tommyknockers and the Mamie R one and the same as the Knackers of the Cornish legend? Subterranean beasts with a fierce dislike for humanity or perhaps evil spirits? No one knows for sure. Some have guessed that the Mamie R might have been situated on an Indian burial ground and the Tommyknockers were Indian spirits angered at having their rest disturbed on account of the gold miners digging in their greed. Others likened the Tommyknockers to goblins and other mythical European creatures that have a natural hatred for humans. Whatever the case is, if the Tommyknockers do exist under Cripple Creek, and if they are every amount as vicious as the legend of the Mamiar would have us believe, it is probably a case of the less we know, the better. Hmm. I read that story to you guys for a reason. On the next episode, I am covering the Tommyknockers. Um, and I definitely don't have time to fit it all in today, so that will be a full-on episode. Um, I will try to get that to you on Friday. Uh, Hopefully the sickness is almost over and I can continue my life without this horrible cough and stuffiness in my throat and lungs and nose. Anyway, um, thank you so much for listening. Again, thanks for all my new listeners. You guys have really made my day, my life, my week. Um, so keep listening and please go ahead and give me those five star reviews and check out everything on social media. I'll be posting a lot in the next few days on social media. Um, so yeah, have a wonderful week, happy Sunday, and I'll talk to you guys later.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.